0: Sounds like it's time to start. Good to see everybody tonight. We, uh, we're we starting a new section. Brand new section. And it's going to be starting at verse 15 through the rest of the chapter. This is called A Prayer for the Saints. And uh, if only we could understand... All the different all the things that God has blessed us with it's just uh incredible as we have looked at the first fourteen verses, and as I think about what God has blessed us with right on time, it's just boom it I have hit it fifty nine yeah actually, I have six fifty eight can you right. have...
1: You know, i got a college professor there, he didn't dare, right at the start, he shut and locked the door. Uh-oh. Oh. That's what they ought to do with worship. If you're not on time. Boy, people,
0: they won't get their grade. <laughs>
1: yeah. You know, you need the grade, great, Dr. Hill. You made it. You made it in.
0: Okay, lock the door. Okay. Oh, okay. Hey, how many here have heard of uh, William Randolph Hearst? Heard of that guy? Yeah. Was he a rich guy? Yeah. Very rich, right? Very, very, rich. very rich. Very, very rich. He could get anything he wanted, right? Well, he had everything. He must have had everything. But anyway, there was one thing he didn't have. And there was an extremely valuable piece of art that he wanted to get. And so he went out, hired, you know, got his agent to go out and try to find this. It's somewhere out in the world. So he told him to go get it. Um, he wants to add it to his collection. This man went everywhere. He went all over Europe and the known world. Went to all the uh, finest art galleries and uh, never could come up with it. After months of looking and looking, he finally found where it was at. He went and called up uh, Hearst and told him uh, that uh, he had found it, and he said that it belongs to you. Hearst had it all the time, but he didn't know it. It was in one of his warehouses. One of his warehouses. He had so much stuff, he didn't mm-hmm. know that he actually owned it. But he owned it all that time. How sad and how tragic that is, right? And that's kind of the way it can be with Christians when sometimes we uh, don't realize what we really have. And just by looking at uh, the first half of this chapter, that's what Paul is doing. And uh, he's showing what God has uh, done and blessing us. Uh, Sometimes... We tend to pursue after more blessings. We pursue, you've heard of people pursuing more of the Holy Spirit, more of Christ, more power, a higher life, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera, right? The truth is is that Christians have all that they need at the time they're saved. They have everything. Just like a, a baby. When a baby is born, he has absolutely everything he needs. He has all of these arms. They don't, one arm doesn't, come later or a leg come later, but he has everything that he needs to to function. Now he he will grow in that, but he has what he needs to to live. I think sometimes we might pray for more strength. I'm not saying that's necessarily wrong, but in Philippians 4.13 it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Sometimes we can pray for more love, uh, but the thing is, God says in Romans 5, I think is it verse 12, He has poured out all of His love upon us. Romans 5, 5. Um, how about peace? Sometimes we want to have more peace. But He says that we have peace that surpasses understanding. <laughs> so every Christian, though, really has needs. And, and every Christian should ask for the Lord's help. I'm not saying those things are, are wrong in themselves, but... But no Christian really needs what he already has. He has those things. We don't have to seek those things that we have but to understand uh, and then be able to use what uh, we've already been given. And that's kind of what Paul is doing in this prayer. It's a great prayer. 15 through 23. He prays for the Ephesian believers that they would know and they would come to understand even more what these blessings are and all that they mean. I think this is one of the greatest statements that we find in all of the Bible. Uh, this one sentence from verse 3 to 14, we spent basically a, about a week of verse, I think is what it came down to, but uh, really wasn't intending to spend that much time on it. But when you see how loaded each one of these verses are, you don't want to rush through a gold mine and, and through all the jewels that are there to, to get to other jewels. Why not take a look at this one? So, you know, we we could have probably spent more time on it. But when you look at this great statement, then you see that Paul is writing in a pastoral way. I think he was a pastor at the church at Ephesus for a while, wasn't he? Uh, there was another individual that had pastored there by the name of the Apostle John. Pastored there. They uh, had quite a church, didn't they? Quite the history. Polycarp uh, later was a pastor there too, I think. So uh, quite, quite the history. Um, but if he being a pastor, then he wants to pastor them. And a pastor wants to do what? He wants to strengthen his people. And so he writes that way. He wants them to be strengthened in, in the great doctrines did you see doctrine in the first 14 verses here? <laughs> Incredible amount of uh, doctrine, right? So he gives them the doctrine, but he doesn't leave it with that. We'll always see application along with doctrine. And so he prays that they would understand, not only know it you know, intellectually, but to be able to, to use these things, to understand the truths that he had just written about and then use them in their lives. And we have a favorite verse. I think I think it's Eldon's, One of his favorite verses that I think you've used many times. It's the Second Peter one, one verse three, where um, I might be wrong on that, but I I think you've used this many times.
2: He <laughs> <laughs> uh, <you> said what? As
0: <laughs> soon as I say it, you'll go. Oh yeah. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through us. I've heard you quote that quite, quite a few times. And but what's Peter saying here? Here's what you have... And uh, this this divine power, all things that pertain to life and godliness, and through knowledge of God. And then you go to Ecclesiastes, and I don't often think of this verse. Um, this is kind of different, but it's showing what God will do whenever He uh, sets out to do His thing. And Ecclesiastes, did I say where it was at? Three fourteen. Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. When was the last time we turned there? It is there. I'm really turning today. Verse 14 says, I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before Him. Uh, Anything that God has given to his people um, can't add to it, can we? And nothing can be taken from it. He's uh, given us everything pertaining to life and godliness. So um, let's, uh, let's go to our great God in prayer. Father, we thank you for you being the great majestic God that you are. You are certainly a holy God. And we come before you recognizing uh, just a little bit of what we have been given. And in this great section that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, what blessings there are. What you have done is uh, so incredible. It's so beyond us. We can't understand all the depth of it. But to realize that The whole triune God was doing that for each one of us. Each of us can put our name right in there personally to see what a work you've done in our own lives. And uh, we praise you for that. Uh, We open up the the text and we depend upon your Holy Spirit to teach us that uh, we would be able to apply these truths to understand them in a way that would glorify your name. So we look to you as we continue on with this awesome book of Ephesians. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the Colossians thought they were missing something. They thought that there must be something else that they could add to this. So Paul has to write a little bit of a warning to the Colossians, or at least he knows that there's a possibility with all the different... Religions and different philosophies and different kind of thinking that uh, they might could be in danger. Maybe they were at that very time. So maybe we need to add something else to this. Uh, in chapter 2, verse 8 of Colossians, Paul says, "...beware, lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men." according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. Okay, you're Christians. You have Christ. Be very careful. Beware. Be watchful. Because there's going to be some things coming along your way that maybe really sounds pretty good. Maybe that will complete my life out here. So he's telling them all of God's fullness is there. They have everything they need. We look in verse 16 and 17, and he talks about legalism here. So no, let no one judge you in food or in drink or regarding a festival or a new moon or Sabbath, which are a shadow of things to come. But the substance is of Christ. You have Christ. Be careful. There could be some things coming along that sound really legitimate, and even in uh, Judaism, they had festivals, they had the new moons, and the Sabbaths, and food, and drink, and they had some of those things that were dealing with the law, but he says, watch out, somebody's going to be coming along. There's another one in verse 18 and 19, he says, let no one cheat you of your reward, taking delight in false humility and worship of angels, Intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom all the body, nourished and knit together by joints and ligaments, grows with the increase that is from God. So there, um, we can have some things dealing with um, delighting in false humility, or you can think of uh, uh, what is it, uh, asceticism, maybe. Things like uh, what maybe the the monks had done uh, later on in church history. Uh, how about verse 21? Do not taste, do not touch, do not handle which all concern things which perish with the using according to commandments and doctrines of men. It's going to be those kind of things. Do not do this, do not do this, the, the do nots. So you have philosophy, legalism, mysticism, asceticism. Uh, go back to Colossians 1.12. Paul says, Give thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. Now, Paul in Ephesians says that we are heirs, right? And we inherit uh, those things of Christ. And Paul reminds the Colossians here. They're partakers of this. Um, Go back to Colossians 2. Look in 9 and 10. Here's the completeness that we have. For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily in Christ. And you are complete in Him who is the head of all principality and power. Complete in the person of Christ. And so when we think of that, when we have the Gospel, we have the Word of God, we have the Holy Spirit, and all those things go with it, Why would anybody want to seek other things? Why would they feel like they're incomplete when we uh, are complete in Christ himself? So, anyway, uh, Paul definitely had to warn the Colossians. It goes all the way back to the first century, back to the early days of the church. uh, There are going to be things coming along that sound really good. And it can even get into the church to see, hey, this sounds spiritual. This sounds Christian. And all good intents, but it may not be really of Christ. So, let's go back to Ephesians. With that thought in mind, let's read 15 and 16. Therefore, it's kind of telling us a new section, right? After all this, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and your love for all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. And then he expounds on it much further as he goes through the rest of the prayer. That's that's the start of his prayer. Um, I heard of your faith. I heard of your faith. That would be the, the first one. How does Paul know they're Christians? He seems to be very convinced that these guys are Christians. Well, how do we know anybody's a Christian? Well, there are certain tests that we can use sometimes that are, that are helpful. It's, it's a good thing to start with uh, myself first. Certain tests. Uh, examine myself to see if I'm in the faith. Am I really for real? Well, you go to the book of 1 John And really, there are basically three tests there. John Stott brings it out in a book that he wrote. Um, One of the tests is doctrinal. And that would be what what you know to be true. It would be a truth test. And there also is another test that deals with the moral test, Um, or this. Actually, I guess you could say this would be the social test, the doctrinal test, uh, moral test. I'm wrong. Third one is social, doctrinal, moral, social. That would be dealing with. Love. And this is how you live the truth. What Paul is going to do, he's going to take truth, he's going to take doctrine that he has already talked about, and apply it also with with love, how they worked in the, the community of the church. So you see it right in verse 15, There I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus, and what? Your love, so you have faith. It's, you have faith in truth, right? Faith is dealing with, with this, um, and we have love for others. So he gives them a couple of tests here that um, that they would pass. That now, who is calling here? Okay, doesn't everybody know?
2: <laughs> uh,
0: let's go to First John chapter five. First John, that that little epistle, and you get these uh, these same two tests in this section uh, too.
1: Can I yeah. interrupt for just a second? <clears throat> so, we're going to venture to say, as far as this requirement, that that doctrinal needs to be number one, because there's plenty of people who live a moral life, and right. there's plenty of people who love that do not have you know that do not have the gospel I mean I think of 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 the Mormons I mean they are moral people and they love but they don't know who Jesus is
0: and that's why these go together if you can have all the truth but if you don't have if you don't live it or if you don't have love for the brother then you're not a Christian and of course John is going to point that out so you have to have those you could like you say there you could be moral but not not have the truth, and doesn't make you a Christian. Or you can have love. Everybody loves to have love. Well, we just need to love each other, but if we don't have doctrine, then, eh, or we don't live this out, it shows that we're not Christians. And of course, John, all the way through his epistle, he will use all three of these. Just in one verse, we see Paul using that. that he had been there. He knew who they were. Um, but at the same time, he had heard about them, too. How they had grown in the faith. Yeah, He wrote the same kind of uh, appeal to, well, uh, the, in the Roman letter. Same kind of thing there. John's doing this. Uh, what do they believe? Well, they have to believe in Jesus Christ, right? And that means all that he says. Um, and so it's the very person of Christ. John is going to be saying that all the way through. You get to his last chapter and he says, whoever believes, there's our truth here, that Jesus is the Christ, that He's the Messiah. And that is uh, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It mentions whoever says that Jesus is Lord. It's because by the Spirit of God that you're able to do that, right? So he's taking that in account. But whoever believes that Jesus is Christ, is born of God, and everyone who loves Him who begot also loves Him who is begotten of Him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep His commandments. So... We have three tests all involved in the first uh, two verses there of chapter 5, don't we? Believing the truth, then not only loving God, but loving others, the children of God. And when we love God, what do we do? We keep His commandments. So you have the truth, uh, the moral aspect, uh, the love aspect, Right there, go on, verse 3. For this is the love of God. Again, he's going to come back and bring me obedience here. This is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What is it? Our faith. What God has given us. Who is he who overcomes the world? but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And if you believe that, you'll live it out, you'll be obedient, and you will love God, you will love others. So just in a few short verses, John just packs it together again like he's been doing all throughout. Hey, what what overcomes? What overcomes the world according to John right here in verse 4? Yeah. This is the victory. This is the... Nike, this is the Nakao, that's the word for uh, victory or overcome, right? Everybody knows that. That's uh, that's, that's our victory. That's why that uh, company Nike comes along, and they are the ones that have victor, victory.
3: So going back to what you said at the beginning, Dennis, uh, the Holy Spirit... Of God pours all this the love into us, when regenerated. So we we actually possess, in reality, all of that in fullness. But now we need to discover it and to practice it, right? Yeah. Through, through knowing what this says, yeah. we've got all that. We just we may we may uh, go toward it, or we may try to run from it. Or, but we're we're gonna if we're obedient, we're gonna.
0: Try to apply it, right? Yeah. And He gives us the grace each day that we need to be able to apply these truths to whatever situation arises. Yeah. Whatever He brings along to test us <laughs> to trust Him more. So the
3: glass is full, but, but our realization of it is what, what He
0: lives That's what Paul is really concerned with. That's why He wants them to uh, be able to use, know this, and to be able to apply it. And how are they going to do it outside of? going to be the power of god in them but to 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 use that is very much the reason why paul does it and of course you know he in a lot of his prayers he is giving thanks to them and and for a lot of the same ways uh, same words that he puts forth uh, him being a pastor would would take that thought on and and i think that any of us would want any of our brothers and sisters to grow in Christ, wouldn't we? I mean, we we love to see uh, all of us growing together. So if Paul knows our Christians because of their faith and love. They've overcome because of that. Yeah. Well, I mean,
1: in, I'm sure we'll get to this um, in 2014. But in <laughs> Ephesians 4, and the beginning of five, um, you know, at the end of four, uh, four verse 31, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, and all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Hmm. I mean, those are things that we have to work on as far as our maturity is is concerned. But we, you know...
0: You work those out, right? Yeah, you work on those. Yeah. Um, Matter of fact, he's saying those things. Evidently, it must have been happening. Is that possible? Can Christians actually speak... Uh, that way? Um, can they be unkind and not tender-hearted and not not forgive? Do you ever have business uh, it shouldn't feedings? be that way, but... Do you ever have business meetings in your church today? <laughs> no. <laughs> we, we stay away from those things. <laughs> I've been to those before. <laughs> yeah, not a good example. Mm. Not that business shouldn't be carried on. <laughs> um... That chapter 4, it, that, and that's really where the, the doctrine is going to hit the road. Yeah. The, the rubber is going to meet the road right there because he's given us such precious truth. And there's application all throughout our doctrinal section. That's kind of where we're at tonight in a sense, and apply all this. But um, really, when you get into 4, 5, and 6, it's really laying it out. Okay, now here is what you're supposed to do. And they might have, there might have been some there not living like a Christian should be living. And so he gives some uh, don'ts there, some do's and don'ts. And um, we always have to be reminded of that. That shows that even though we have all the equipment that we need, we don't use it. We don't use it like we should. So we need to be, um, I guess, be motivated continually by each other. Uh, That's why it says in Hebrews 12, you know, um, not forsaking the assembly, why? Why should they not do that? So they can motivate each other to, to love. That's one of the reasons. Many, but. Uh, So, I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. Now, faith means trusting in Christ so much that you would never trust in your own works and that you'd never trust in any of your own kind of righteousness. I mean, Christ is so much at the center of all of this anyway that we would not want to trust in anything else. We know that that uh, our righteousness is filthy as rags, right? We are to have no confidence in the flesh, in the self. It's to trust Christ utterly. So it, it calls attention to the very person of Christ right here. I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus what he's granted. And so what what word does he use first as he names him here? Lord. Whenever he is Lord, that means he is sovereign. It means he's in total control. He is Lord of your life as well as Lord of the universe. And you cannot separate Lord and Jesus here. Jesus means what? Savior, right? You can't separate the two. For, uh, I think, such a long time, there has been that kind of theology that, and I've said it probably too many times, but people want to accept Jesus as their Savior and then later on have Him as Lord whenever they feel moved, maybe later whenever they can do some other things. It's nice to have Him as Savior now, but I'll have Him as Lord later. And you can't ever separate that. And and how many times do you see Paul put Lord Jesus together? Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he is he is that. Romans um, chapter ten talks about uh what's dealing with with conversion there and the gospel coming along. And in ten nine it says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So it says right there, you confess that He is Lord. He's Lord of your life now. The reason I say that, I I grew up hearing that constantly in my church, and I didn't think a thing about it. I thought that's just the way it was. People, kids would get saved at camp during the summertime. (laughs) We got a nodding head back there. You know what I'm talking about. You went through it too. You heard this. How many times? Saved a camp, and then maybe three or four years later down the road, now they came walking down the aisle, and now they want to accept him as Lord. They said, he's my Savior, but now I want him as my Lord. And I never really put it together because I really wasn't paying attention, but I'm going, well, how many times, (laughs) what are they doing? I'm not sure what's going on here. I kind of thought that he was Lord and Savior, but it seemed like there was a separation and maybe it was a misunderstanding of those individuals i i don't know but when you look at scripture constantly you will see lord and jesus together and never should they be divided in romans chapter 14 verse 9 oh this is timely since we had resurrection day yesterday for to this end christ died and rose and lived again that he might be, what? Lord of both the dead and the living. He's he's his Lord. He is Lord. He's already Lord. That's his name. Acts 16. Early days of the church. Acts 16.31 This is the Philippian jailer. And uh, the jailer, after the uh, earthquake or whatever happened there, right, he's trembling and he says, uh, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You're in your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him, and all who were in his house and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. Immediately his family were baptized He brought them into his house. He set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God, with all his household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you be saved. Lord Jesus, the sovereign. What about the word Jesus? Well, that takes in who he is. Humanly, we know that he came in the incarnation, um, and he was told, or the angel was, uh, was telling them that his name shall be Jesus way back in Matthew one twenty one. I think this was to Joseph, I believe. She'll bring forth a son, you shall call his name Jesus Savior, for he will save his people from their sins. So early in the church they were talking about the resurrection and they would show that that's what proved that he is Lord. And he is the Savior. They would put use those two terms interchangeably, but uh, often, I think if you look through the passages, you'll see that the two together in some format. But uh, that's what people have to, to know, that uh, he's Lord and he is... Jesus the one that was human eternally the the uh, the son at the same time he is the man god he's the son of god he's the son of man he was born in Bethlehem and he lived in Nazareth he's a historical person uh he existed he's the man he's the son of god he is god so
3: Yeah, yeah. in chapter 22 of Acts this is what I always think of when Talk about the name of God the Lord. Uh, Paul says in verse six here as I, he's do given his testimony as I was on my way and drew near Damascus about noon. a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And I answered, "Who are you, Lord?" And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, who you're whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me, and I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, Rise and go into Damascus, marry you so on and so forth. So even though right from the get go he um, didn't have, you know, full revelation until Jesus said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, he, you know <laughs> The fear of God definitely grabbed onto him right there, and he knew there
0: was the Lord there. Yeah, and he's recognizing, uh, and Jesus says, "Jesus of Nazareth," that He was that historical yeah. person that lived and existed, that yeah. was a man was. who also is God. Yeah, so He is Lord.
3: So the name Jesus wasn't common. He didn't say Savior.
0: There were a lot of, um, I guess you could um, translate it to, to our language, uh, like Joshua's. Running around so with that Jesus name.
2: Of Nazareth was so when you have that, really important. Mm-hmm. And so was Lord Jesus. Right. Wow.
0: Yeah. uh Look in Philippians two, where you have that great humility section. Uh, it actually starts around verse five, but. Um, In verse 9, after he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even to the death on the cross, in verse 9, therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord the glory of God the Father, the Sovereign, so there you have again Jesus, the Messiah, who is Lord, and uh usually in in the New Testament when you're thinking of Lord, you're thinking of the Yahweh of the Old testament the uh, the Lord of the Old Testament is the Lord of the New Testament uh, what does it mean to belong to Christ then if uh that's what Paul is saying about these uh, Ephesians here when he says, um, "I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus." Your faith in the Lord Jesus. What does it mean to belong to Him, to uh, to have faith in Him? Well, it means to submit to Him in obedience for one thing. And all throughout the Gospels, we do not see a watered down weak gospel that is presented. Matter of fact, it sounds very hard and difficult if you didn't know what it all means. It's impossible, really, for humans to follow it without the power of God. But in Matthew chapter 9, verse 9, as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. What did he do? Wait around to the end of the day. I have to finish my job. Or wait, I, I have to get paid. Just just a moment. I have to do my taxes. <laughs> yeah, I have to do my taxes.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: So he arose and followed him. Immediately, he got up, left, followed Christ. Just like that. Wow. Uh, chapter 10. And there are several of you that can identify with this. Matthew 10, verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. It's a rather difficult statement. Because he's talking about all the way to the point of who are the people that you love the most. Well, your family. Whether it's mother or father, brother or sister, whoever. He says, if you love them more, then you're not worthy of me. He says, you have to take up your cross. And they knew what a cross was. It wasn't these kind of things in there. (laughs) The cross meant death. Romans used that as... For a crucifixion, he says, "Take up the cross and follow me." And the kind of places that he was going to, and and the way that he lived, uh, if it meant actually literally following him, mean, and many many did, but he's talking about his the following of his kind of life. Follow my teachings. Follow who I am. Everything about me. Yeah, he he says. Uh, you find your life, if, if that's if the life that you have out here is what you really have, you're going to lose that. But if you lose that kind of... And Matthew lost his life that he had being a tax collector. He was probably making some pretty good bucks on the side there, uh, doing very well being a tax collector. What a privilege he had. Nobody liked him, but he was making the money, uh, but he left it. He left that kind of life and went right to Christ. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty pinpointed, but uh, it's pretty drastic.
2: This is the
4: passage that the Lord used on me to um, be baptized. But I knew that when I did that, that I was really going to upset everybody in the family, that I was going to identify myself differently than what I had been raised. In all the generations, I'd disappoint all my ancestry if I got baptized into a different religion as they would see it.
0: What are they going to say? What are they going to think? Mm-hmm. It's and,
4: passage that I came to
0: and it happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, paid dearly.
4: I found it interesting because shortly after I read that and came to the door, somebody would do a census to see what denomination and they were drumming up for a Catholic church in the area, and they were really supporting me that if I was not going to attend the Catholic church, it was just... That just read this passage. Just knock on the door, and there's two men. It was me a about test it.
0: immediately, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, immediately. I was being tested. I, I was just, was just, and I just,
4: just, and it ended up being a relationship with somebody that knew who I, you know, knew my family name.
1: Yeah,
0: and I was like, nope. Bill, you came from that background too. That's did exactly. you have? Did you identify with this section? Yeah, no, I, I
1: think that, that based on my background, my parents were just happy that I had found God. whatever right yeah you just go wherever you want (laughs) but it's kind of like Monty Schenkel said one time if you come to Jesus today he goes you might meet Satan in the parking lot and he says well you know you might even meet him in the (laughs) foyer because there's always going to be stumbling blocks that are going to be immediately put in front of you and when I was baptized the pastor said okay now look out for trouble because you know you've made this this statement I mean Satan hates baptisms. Mm-hmm. He hates conversions. So you know? I didn't even
4: get baptized. I just looked I knew that that was something that I should be doing and this passage This is my battle and when I read the passage I took care of the battle and ding dong at the door. <laughs>
0: the
2: battle began.
0: It's a price.
1: Yeah, I found that that, that I find that some of the most faithful people are former Catholics, you know, who had their eyes enlightened but but the most and I want to say this as nicely as I possibly can. Some of the most faithless people are the are the are the Catholics. A lot of them. I mean, the the really on fire Catholics, you know, will will throw that whole Catholic thing on you. But for the most part, most of the Catholics that I've met around here, you know, they don't they don't they don't give a care about you know about what you do. I mean, I've never been witnessed to by a Catholic.
4: Yeah, I, I guess not.
1: I'm sorry, but I, you know, but it, it's just yeah it's just interesting.
0: Well, it's um, what what are some other things that Jesus said? He uh, had some parables. Matthew 13, verse 44. This is uh kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and hid and for joy over it he goes and sells all that he has buys that field. He's willing to give up everything. Now there's another twist and a turn on these parables and sometimes you will hear and I'm not going to press it but sometimes you hear it from the other side. God gives up everything or he sells everything and then buys us out of that. Um, but anyway, uh, taking it from uh, the angle that I'm I'm hitting there with, if you see the kingdom of heaven, you're willing to give up whatever it is. Um, a lot of different ideas on this section. I don't, my point is not to press anything. But verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls, who, when he had found one pearl of great price, went and sold all that he had and bought it. He saw something that was so good that he couldn't, uh, he, he, he would he would sell what he had and go for what the best is. And go on, But anyway, go to Matthew 18, verse 3 and 4. About the kingdom again. Uh, Jesus, verse 2, called a little child in, set him in the midst of them, and said, uh, Surely I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, what do you have here? Humility, right? One who becomes just like a little child. They uh, they they take for what whatever is being stated, and they believe it. They just do it in, in that sense. Not being a disobedient child, of course. But
1: one thing I I've always loved about that. You know, about when, when Jesus basically, even when he was telling Nicodemus that you need to be born again and being and receiving Christ like a child, it's always sort of hit me that that, that a child has no baggage. And that's how he wants us to come to him. You know, that, that, that when we we're born again, it's like a whole new, brand new slate. And all of what is part of what we were is supposed to be washed away. Yeah, and that's that's really hard to do. I guess that's part of taking up the cross.
0: Got all that baggage oh, and still man. hanging don't on. Don't to get it. me
1: started. Let's. How long we got? <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I mean, but I think that I, I, when I when I read those passages about becoming like a child, you know, a child is is is, is innocent and it's like starting complete, completely from scratch.
0: Do you remember when you were a kid? and you didn't have to worry about where the groceries are going to come from and paying the bills and all the the everyday thoughts that we have to be. You just did what you're supposed to do. You didn't necessarily like to go to school maybe that you did that, but I mean you're pretty carefree in the sense you didn't really have to do a whole lot, do your chores and such, but you didn't have to come up with the money. You know, you, you lived in a house, they took care of you, Right. And you know they're, they're the, as a kid you just trust in them you know and what, they're, what they're doing. You don't even think about it. you know following Christ, whenever he said take up the cross as, as you're talking about like baggage, we are constantly getting rigged, rid of more baggage even though our sin has been taken care of, we start discovering all the baggage we've been carrying with us all of our lives is take up the cross. That means you're going to continue to be carrying, I mean, in the sense, not our sin, but in the sense that we have this, we need to be dying daily. Uh, of course, it's the work of Christ in us that does that. We just want to allow Him um, to have His freedom in, in stripping us of all of that stuff that we don't need anymore, whatever that may be. How about the rich young ruler? He had everything. Matthew 19. Verse 16, And behold, one came said to him, Good teacher, What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? I've done all of this. He needed to add something else to what he had. Now, this is one who had religion and he had the money and he had everything and he wanted to add something. Something's missing. Well, a Christian doesn't have anything missing, doesn't need to add anything. Well, he is not one who's believing in Christ. He needed to put Christ in his life and (laughs) see all that other stuff as baggage So he said to him, Why do you call me good? Don't you recognize me? No one is good but one that is God. So he shows right there that everybody is, what? In sin. They're depraved. But if you want to enter into life, keep the commandments. They said to him, Well, which ones? Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and your mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, all these things I have kept from my youth, what do I still lack? He doesn't see his sin. Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, because we have to be perfect, be perfect, for your Father in heaven is perfect. How are you perfect? Through Christ, Christ, right? You want to be perfect. Um, Go sell what you have, give to the poor, all that stuff that means so much to you, and you'll have treasure in heaven. And come, come, Follow Me. When the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. He couldn't give them up. And he realized that I would like to be following Christ in the sense of I'd like to have all this happiness and something that I'm missing here, but I'm not getting rid of this. This is my life. But he says you have to lose your life. He couldn't do it. And then, of course, Christ says it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He's saying it's impossible. And the disciples recognized that. They heard they were greatly astonished, saying, who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said to them, with men this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So we can sit here today and say, yeah, it was because of what he did. So that's one thing about faith cover a little bit about the love aspect. These, these Ephesian people had faith in Christ. They gave themselves up. And, and he knew that. They, uh, they weren't trusting in their own righteousness. They weren't trusting in anything. They were trusting in Christ. He was the center point of their lives. They didn't have a cheap salvation. And another uh, test that they passed was their love for other Christians. Um, can we talk about
1: the rich young ruler for just one more second? And sometimes when I when I read that, it's like, okay, was he at the end of himself and he was looking for eternal life, or was he just so wealthy that he just said, wait a minute, there's something I don't have. I got to talk to that guy. You know what what is what is he all about? But he wasn't willing to give up what he had in order to get what what Jesus was offering. Yeah, it was
0: that that
1: stuff was his identity.
0: That's right. That was himself.
3: He was looking for his own. The heavenly or kingdom.
1: Did, so, so do you think? Do you kingdom? think that it was something that he was something else? He was just looking to gain.
3: Yeah. Um, might be. I, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I could put my thumb down on that and say that's for sure. But, and we don't even know if maybe he was converted later. But, uh, you know, I think just taking it for what. it's what it's saying here at least at this point in time when he encountered Jesus we don't see a you know a a change in him we just see was it worldly grief kind of almost you know, a worldly grief mm-hmm. kind of response like this is just too much to, to for me to deal with I remember Matthew and all the other things you're talking
2: about
4: Jesus spoke to him he came following me immediately did so but also, the word of God. the God, word. He did not receive it. Yeah. I remember this man often is very, very moral. You know, mm-hmm. And tried to keep the commandments and, and everything. But he did, and he, he thought he wanted this. But when Jesus said what he did and you know, to give up what he had, what he had was more important mm-hmm. than being able to give it up. It was just
0: too much. That was a downfall. Yeah. It's
4: sad. I, I think he probably very much wanted this,
0: but he didn't realize the Lord was going to ask him to give this up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, forget yourself. That is, and it's a hard demand.
2: Kind of sad when he left. Yeah.
0: Right. Very much so. That's a, following Christ is, um, it, it, it's a it means that it it means to to follow him take take up the cross it's the the very cost of discipleship that shows on giving
4: up ourselves our own it's very difficult to do you know it's something you either really want to do to follow Christ because the commands that we you know you say well we try but every day we, we must study the word we must I think it's very, very good to get with other fellow Christians and to help reaffirm because we live in a world that is I think chaotic. Beaten in <laughs> in a workplace where there's none of that. It's very hard to find Christian friends in a workplace. There are a few, but it's few. And so every day we must reaffirm that. And we've got to stick together.
0: That's right. We need each other, don't
2: we?
0: You betcha. Sure. Cause, and they're against us because they're really against Christ. Now, they, may say, they might even claim to even think they're Christians, even some of those same people. people. Uh, you know, they might, they might go to church once in a while or something, but the fact of the matter is, is that if they really knew the Jesus of Nazareth, who made some of these statements that they're reading, they would say, well, that's not my Jesus. My Jesus is, is much more loving. These are hard statements that he's saying. but that sh- And we, we couldn't in, our, in and of ourselves give up and just leave everything and follow him of ourselves, could we? We have to have a calling, just like in, in Ephesians where it's, it always starts with God. So there has to be that prior work in us before we can even do that. So none of us were good enough to even do that. It's, it's going to come down. And with God, all things are possible as Jesus answers the disciples. Yeah, Zach?
5: Why isn't the first command list, commandment listed? Love. That's a good question. Why isn't the first commandment listed? Technically, Christ never rebuked the rich young man for any of his statements. I mean, I mean, he said that he kept him from his youth. Uh, with a bold statement like that, you'd expect some sort of rebuke. Mm-hmm. But then, at the very end, it says, "Give up everything and follow me." I mean, that's and the rich young man went away sorrowful. That's got to break the first commandment. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, mm-hmm. if nothing else, it has to break at least that one. Because he had another god. Exactly. God, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But. Think we, yeah, um, but no why idea. didn't Christ address that whenever he said that? I mean, wh- well, what do I have to do? And he rattled off five, give or take, commandments. But they i were was the curious one, why. They
3: were the ones, uh, murder, adultery, stealing, bearing false witness, honoring father and mother, and, and love your neighbors yourself. They were all the kind of on the same level that that guy was thinking about, doing things or works, mm-hmm. what must I do? Social. What? Yeah. The, moral. Moral. Kind of the
0: second table of the law there, isn't it?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, you know, it's like Christ, and we've given this before in other stories about him in the Gospels, but how he sees their heart and he just talks to them kind of, <laughs> you know, very, uh, uh, very much where they're at. But he couldn't move. You know, this guy
0: wasn't to be moved beyond that. Yeah, that always uh, raises a lot of questions. You know, we we don't get the end of the story like we we would like, or maybe it is the end. We don't know. But um, we know that um, God has His plan, and uh, He definitely shows that one who um, desires to follow Christ is because He has been drawn. By Christ, as John relates that to it, and then we have the desire to to follow him. But uh, that at that time it wasn't wasn't the case. Um, just uh, one one little note here on on the uh, aspect of love. John writes a lot on that in First John three. In verse fourteen, we know that we have passed from death to life. Because we love the brethren, and the word for love there is self-sacrifice. Uh, that's that God kind of love. He who does not love his brother abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he la- here's the supreme example, right? Because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Not just to say we love, but to actually do it. So John explains what the uh, the idea of love is. It's uh, quite uh, the the outworking of it. It's, it's the, the doing part of it. And that's to even people that would be considered to be enemies of us, that maybe do not like us. We still have to have that love. Uh, whether they want us to uh, do anything with it or not, we we still have to have that, at least the attitude. And if we get the opportunity to, to serve them in that, it goes over and beyond what uh, a normal uh, thinking would do, I guess, uh, as far as the man's nature.
1: Well, also, sometimes when you look at the. Three things there. I mean, even from a from a doctrinal standpoint, I mean, if you're just a, a born learner and and you have all the head knowledge, you could have the doctrine right, and you could and you could white knuckle yourself into a moral life, you know. But the love, I mean, the the love has to be by the Spirit because because it, it requires a sacrifice that's above and beyond just you know loving on your kids or whatever. You know, I mean.
0: And how does one do that? How does one love other people?
1: Well, I mean, that's the hardest thing.
0: Why is that? I don't know. (laughs) I'm asking you. you Well, well, this this is your class. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I can ask questions. Yes, it's
2: true. And uh,
0: I think we're almost at the end here. Romans 5 says what? He has poured out his love into us. And then we know that... um, in Philippians 2.13, 12 and 13, it says that we are to work out all of these things that he's given us. So there are things that we are to do. We're not saying do things. You know, he says oh, we're to obey. How can anybody obey God? Well, this rich young ruler was obeying God, but really, was he really obeying God? Did he really love God? I think he showed that he didn't love his neighbor so he didn't show love to God, even though he may not got that same message. We can look at it, and we know that he didn't didn't really follow the law because nobody can follow the law. Nobody can love unless god 's love is in us, so that we can love them there's going people are going to do naturally nice things for people, but then ultimately, what is their motive in doing what they 're doing? Are they doing it for the glory of God well and I'm glad people do nice things for people, even though they're not Christians. You know, I'm really glad of that. And it's by God's grace that that even happens. But their motive is not for God's glory. Philippians 2 2. Fulfill my joy by being like minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. One accord, one mind. Having the same truth, having love. Truth and love. Ephesians will say that later on that you're to be truthing with love you just don't give love to somebody without truth i mean it's it's they go hand in hand um one other one 1 Corinthians thirteen one. what does it say
2: that
0: famous that famous famous verse that great love chapter if what Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. So you can have these two things right here, but if we don't have this, then we fail. All three of these these tests over and over. John will use that, and Paul uses it so often. Faith, hope, and love, and he'll put those in different combinations. But anyway, we uh, we uh, are going to stop there. And if you'll look at what he's saying, therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, he heard about that. They were practicing it. They were doing it. And then he. He couldn't help but give thanks to God because they were the church in action. They believed the truth, Jesus being Lord and all that means, and then they practiced it out. They loved it. Anyway, let's... um.